It's been an interesting few days. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, uh, as you probably gathered from my message, been kind of stuck indoors, so a bit frustrated at this stage. But yeah, it's not like COVID where you kind of go out and about and you can go and exercise and things like that. You literally get some fresh air. Yeah, fresh, like fresh air is the biggest thing. Like, you know how much I hang out in my balcony? Like, literally. Have you ever dreamed of living on a paradise island? That's exactly what Yvonne Campbell is doing for a whole year. Otherworld Travel presents Life in Barbados, a year on a paradise island. I woke up Saturday morning, looked out my window and see a haze of dust coming over. It just got worse and worse throughout the day. I'm a lot calmer, you know, and some of my friends here, like, they understand, they trust nature, and this is the way of the islands. I learned to live with it and trusting nature, and I think that part of living on this side of the world is learning and appreciating this, these values, this philosophy, and this understanding of what life is and living. So I've decided to stay here. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. Well, this was not the episode that I had planned to be sharing with you this week. I was meant to be out trying beach tennis at the weekend on Brown's Beach, but that is going to have to wait to another time because this week this happened. This morning, the Caribbean island of St. Vincent is coated in ash. The long dormant volcano rumbling over the weekend, blasting giant clouds of smoke into the sky. Officials say the island looks like a battle zone. The first eruption early Friday morning, followed by a second one just hours later. Authorities say plumes of smoke are rising above 25,000 feet high. My thoughts are with those people in St. Vincent who are affected by this much more than us here in Barbados. There's a certain radius around the volcano that has been evacuated as, according to the University of the West Indies, the volcano continues to erupt quite explosively and has now begun to generate what they call pyroclastic density currents. So these are really hot currents of between 200 and 700 degrees Celsius. They're ground-hogging flows of ash and debris that are coming down from the volcano to the surrounding areas. So essentially impacting on everything in its path. The last eruption was in 1979 and the one before that was 1902. At this stage, it is far too soon to be telling how bad this one's going to be. So, you know, we're dealing with unpredictable mother nature. 1979, I think this is worse than what it was then. As for 1902, well, that lasted for a year. So here's really hoping that it won't be as bad as that. Barbados is 120 miles to the east of St. Vincent and the wind has been bringing the ash cloud this way since Friday. We've had very poor visibility and the toxic ash has been in the air so it's been really important to stay covered up when going outdoors. This is what it's like at Bronx Beach. I have to go. Ash is falling. Pretty heavy. Place is deserted. Trying to get people wearing masks, they're wearing masks now. <laughs> Don't have to monetary. It's a good job we have lots of face masks at the moment due to COVID, but it's also important to keep your arms and your legs covered as well. We had a bit of an order to stay indoors and everything shut over the weekend and the airport is still closed. Cleanup really started around Tuesday and the good thing is that Barbados has always been very good 
about sharing information, doing press conferences, giving advice and support, especially during COVID. And now for this crisis, they're also doing that as well. As you know, the major eruptionist invasion has forced the closure of our national airspace system and the cancellation of flights in and out of Barbados. The decision was taken by the Civil Aviation Department based on the report received from the local Met Office. So the kind of things they've been telling us is to clean regularly and not to let the ash build up. I think the worry is if the ash builds up, it'll be a lot more difficult to clean. And also the dust is quite toxic. So having that sat on various things for a long time is not good. We have been asked to limit our water usage. So there's a bit of a drought at the moment or definitely a shortage. It's a bit challenging trying to kind of clean in one hand whilst trying to conserve water on the other. We've been keeping our doors and our windows closed. And especially where I am, I live in a plantation style house. And where you would normally have glass windows, I have got wooden slats. And there's quite a lot of gaps in those wooden slats, which means the dust particles are coming through. So whilst my doors and windows are closed, I've also had to use wet tiles to cover the gaps and limit that amount of ash coming in. There's been a bit of a lack of hot water, so we've got solar panels. I think most of the island probably has solar panels for their hot water. But because there is no sun, those solar panels aren't getting the sunshine that they need to provide the energy for the hot water. Life in Barbados, a year on a paradise island. We have had to turn off air conditioning units in some cases, so it depends what type of an air conditioning unit you have, but I've had to revert to my fans. So the fear around the air conditioning units is about the filters getting blocked. I don't know if you're aware of some of the AC units that you have where half of it kind of sits outside the house and the other half inside the house. So that would be pulling air from outside to inside and that probably would not be good news. We have been asked to clean gutters as much as possible. So one of the biggest challenges that whenever the ash has fallen, it has fallen into, you know, various different nooks and crannies and gutters are one of them. But then we also had some rain come along as well. And it basically made the ash into a bit of a paste and it was starting to block the drains. So some people have been getting leaks inside their house and others have had their gutters break altogether. So a lot of people have been up ladders and scaffolding trying to clear the gutters. In relation to the car, what we've been trying to do is actually kind of like dust down the cars, obviously trying to conserve the water. But there's also the issue that, you know, if you kind of put the water and it turns to paste, it's going to be a bit more challenging to get off the car. So the advice has been that we need to make sure the dust is off the cars as regularly as possible because the ash dust will act as a bit of a corrosive and will strip the paintwork, which isn't great. And then also we have to be careful with the windscreen wipers because if there is dust on the windscreen, the windscreen wipers will take it across, you know, back and forth across the windscreen itself and will likely scratch the actual windscreen. The good news is the water supply, whilst it might be high in demand with the low supply, it's actually not affected by the dust as it's a closed system. So we do still have good, healthy drinking water here. 
people were out clearing the roads immediately. So I was really impressed by the government's response to the main roads. And I hear some of that's happened in some of the villages and so on as well. And I must say that very hardworking people working in those conditions to clear the roads whilst people are also driving past and kicking up some of that dust. So, you know, that's quite a challenging job they have. So fair play to them. And then the other thing is that supposedly the ash is good news for the soil in the long run. So I'm sure farmers at this point in time will not be thanking the volcano for the ash cloud that has come this way. But in time, it will help as a fertilizer. So that's something that we can look forward to. But I'm sure not right now. Dealing with the cleanup is more of a challenge for farmers. And then things started opening up today again. So it's all quite unpredictable. I think businesses are just playing about ear and figuring out what is right for them. So who knows, you know, there could be an ash cloud in this way again in a few hours time. We just don't know. So I think people are going to have to play it day by day and react as things change. Life in Barbados. Thanks to all of those who have reached out to me to see how I have been through the last couple of days. I've been catching up with quite a few people back home in the UK and Ireland And I'm lucky that my friend Marie is working on a rescue plan for me if needed. So hopefully that won't be needed, but you know, she's going to look into ways in which I might be able to build a bit of a raft to get myself to a neighbouring island and an airport if the worst case scenario happens. I just don't know. I don't know what to do for the best, you know. Well, I can help you brainstorm ideas of how to get off the island. Um, Yeah, go on. Passed away. Have you right? I reckon I <laughs> could uh, help you instruct you on how to build an epic raft. That's a good option. Option number one. I guess if you know that you're stuck there till at least May, just because of the flight situation, you could get involved with like a cleanup operation. It might be quite fun. But if it's a yeah. case that there's a lot of people that need to get off the island and there's a safe time to do it, because if you don't get off then, if it lows again... Yeah. Oh, it's tricky. I can't. I can imagine how hard that that is a decision for you. What to do? What if I get off the island and it gets better, and I'll be like, oh, was that just a waste of like three weeks when I could have been having another three weeks in paradise and been on the beach every day, I've been learning how to swim, missing me, you know, missing all that kind of stuff. But then, what if I can't get back into the island again because of various things? But then I'm thinking, actually, if I can't get back onto the island. That probably means there's ash cloud issues, which means I would probably endure the island anyway. anyway. Yeah. You know, but I've also committed to like a whole year. I'm like, I feel like really strongly that I want to stay here for the whole year. And I'm like, actually, is that a bit of a cop out? When the going gets tough, I just like fly back home. (laughs) Well, it's (laughs) not. (laughs) You know, I do feel like I really want to support Barbados as well. So, but if I'm going to be indoors the whole time, it kind of defeats the purpose of being here. And maybe actually what I could do is press the pause button and come back when things get back to normal and continue for my next nine months. But no, I do see myself staying longer in Barbados anyway. So life in Barbados. To celebrate my podcast nomination and as a thank you for tuning in each week over the last three months, I have a special offer for you. As you will have heard me mention, I am an accredited travel agent with the award-winning travel counsellors specialising in Barbados. I am offering a free holiday consultation and will provide you with a bespoke itinerary that meets your every need. And for the first five people who book with me by the 18th of April for holidays right up until March 2022, I am offering a 10% discount. Who better to book your dream holiday to Barbados with than someone who lives here? 
my promise to you is that I will never recommend a hotel or experience that I have not tested myself. Head over to life-in-barbados.com forward slash offer to book your free consultation now. Life in Barbados. A lot of people have been referencing the 1979 eruption and I was just wondering what it was like back then. So a friend of mine put me in touch with Vic Fernandez, who is a prominent broadcaster here in Barbados. I was away for the weekend. And that's, right. uh, so I have a, a couple of perspectives, you know, of leaving my home in one condition and returning to see it in another condition. At the time, I lived in another very traditional Barbadian home just below Oyston's but it was on the main road leading to Oyston's. And every year we have the Oyston's Fish Festival. It takes place on the Easter weekend. Well, Good Friday being Good Friday, it's quite quiet. Sundays, again, fairly low key. But the Monday, everything goes into high gear and it's like a carnival. There's music, there's people, there's dancing in the streets. But there's traffic and hundreds, thousands of people. And you live right on the main. Loveliest place to live for the other 364 days of the year. But so every year, my first wife and I, we would we would just leave the island. On this occasion, we went to Trinidad to visit the in-laws. And we left on the Thursday evening and returned on the Tuesday morning. So right. my perspective gives you both pre and post this. Uh, what we are experiencing now is nothing like what was experienced back then. Literally a breeze, pun intended, you know, in comparison to this. Were you aware the last time around that something was going to happen? Like, was there yeah, a bit of a build up? Yeah, we, well, we were aware. But, you know, the thing about volcanoes is, you know, they're quite unpredictable. You know, the dome could, it could be coming and it could remain like that for months. So while the activity had been heightened, I, I don't think they had hit red alert yet, but it went it seemed to happen very quickly, you know, Chance. and of course, I got the news where I was that, you know, we were having volcanic ash. And again, it didn't affect all of the island. It was mainly in the south, I believe. The ocean was right across the road uh, from us. You know, the volcanic ash arrived and uh, covered whatever part of the island largely. Well, from my experience, it seemed to have been more the southern part of the island. I could be wrong, but that was my understanding. And by Saturday, Holy Saturday, so you had Good Friday, which is a quiet day anyhow, and Holy Saturday, people were cleaning up. So that by the time I arrived back on Tuesday morning, there was no evidence of it until I actually got to my home. <laughs> yeah? Yes. And then I saw, oh my God, my car, the two cars were covered in ash. You know, the patios were covered in ash, the windows of the house and so on, the driveway, the plants and so on. But, you know, within a matter of hours between myself and uh, a helper that I had, he and I had pretty much cleaned up all of it. You know, we spent the entire day washing and washing. And, you know, of course, thankfully, while that house was a very traditional house too as well, it, not all of the doors and windows were shutter tight. It was largely untouched on the inside, which is where you want to keep the dust, that, that ash from, you know, because a lot of people in Barbados, I'm not sure if you are aware of this, but we have a high incident of asthma in Barbados. I mean, it seems to me, I, I have my own theories, and, and my theory is that kids need to get outside and run in the mud and the muck and thing a little bit, 
I think they're too sanitized in our in our environment. When I was going uh, growing up, both in Trinidad and here, in my school here in Barbados, we had one kid out of 300 boys who had asthma. Wow. Today, you probably would find that 75% of that school are either asthmatic or borderline asthmatic. There is a serious problem, and it, it may well be environmental. could be dust, but I, I honestly believe it's because we over-sanitize everything. You know, we don't want them to get in the dirt, we, the, the soil. We don't, you know, we want to keep, you know, kids are spending too much time on, on toys and electronic stuff and so on. You need to get out and get burnt by the sun and, you know, come back, you know, grimy and dirty. Yes. <laughs> so people did clean up very quickly, it seemed. This yeah. is on a whole other level completely. And when you returned back in 1979 and you saw your house all covered, like, what was your feeling? What was your reaction? I'm not sure it's polite to say. <laughs> but I went, Jesus. <laughs> you know, you just come back from a lovely little, little break. You're feeling all good. You know, your energy level is up. You know, you're buoyant and so on and positive. And you pull into your drive and you look at and it's like, what the hell just happened? It was an apocalypse of some kind. <laughs> landed on this property, this one property, you know. Of course, everybody else had had three days previously to, to do their cleanup. Uh, sure. And I had, you know, so yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense. And what was the mood of the island at the time? Easter is always a positive time in Barbados, you know, and I think if it was sustained, if we had something like COVID on top of it, you know, because COVID has really sucked the very energy out of everyone. You know, every time you think you're getting on top of it, there is, you know, some other outbreak or, you know, now we seem to be on top of it again. We're down to yesterday four, just four new um, cases. We obviously have managed this second wave very well. But, you know, every time you release, you begin to relax. Boom. So we didn't have anything like that in 1979. We had a government that was very popular. They got reelected in 1981. We had a legendary uh, leader, a transformative leader in uh, JMGM, Tom Adams. And uh, his father, by the way, was the first premier of Barbados, and the only prime minister of the former West Indies Federation. So before independence, many of these islands, before we became independent, we had an experiment with um, a federation, a political federation. And the federal capital was in Trinidad. And the prime minister of the Caribbean West Indies Federation, as it was called, was the legendary national hero, uh, Sir Grantley Adams. So his son, Tom Adams, who was an economist and an attorney at law and a former BBC producer, had returned to Barbados in 1966 and went into politics while practicing law and um, won the election in 1976. And so the government was in a very agile state. There was lots of stuff happening. The economy was being transformed. The, the international business sector was being developed. You know, lots, lots of stuff was happening. So it was a it was a happy time. It was a good time in Barbados in 1979. It wasn't like, you know, we are today where we're facing the twin perils of COVID and uh, the volcanic ash from La Soufrière. And did that last at all or was it just the one ash cloud and it more or less went away? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I, I was talking to some friends of mine in, in St. Vincent last night and I'm surprised at that. Well, certainly in his case, how two or three of them I've been speaking to, how buoyant and how happy they seem to be in the midst of all of that confusion. But I was talking to him, and actually he called me 
to, to say to me that I should ask the prime minister who should they send the bills to for the lovely um, fertilizer that they're sending our way. He reminded me that uh, there's a lovely little island resort. Well, there's several in the Grenadines, but there's a small island, 33 acres, immediately off of the mainland of St. Vincent. I actually, my, daughter, my youngest daughter and I swam across that channel on two occasions just to prove that we could do it. So it's called Young Island Resort. You might want to Google it sometime. It's a magnificent, rustic, five-star style hotel where you eat in open gazebos, your showers are outdoors, and, and so on. And, um, oh, it is magnificent, and it's a private island. So uh, he owns this island, and he was reminding me uh, a few days before the volcanic eruption of uh, this current year that back in 1979, they did not even have to empty the pool at Young Island because they got no ash from the volcanic eruption on that part of the island. Well, wow. if you see the videos now of what happened this time around, the entire island has been blanketed, the pool, the, I mean, every aspect. It'll take them weeks and weeks to, to clean that up because they have to clean the entire island. And it's also a nature reserve. Uh, too as well. So they do have to protect it as well. So that's an example. That's a comparative yeah. point uh, there that uh, parts of St. Vincent didn't even have ashfall uh, back in 1979. Now, I don't think there's a square inch of that island that has not been pretty much blanketed by it. Uh, I believe St. Lucia is also having some uh, of it, not to the extent that we have had, but they've had some bits of it too as well. And it's apparently moved in some cases, some of the the ash uh, flows have gone as far up as Montserrat. And uh, I have a friend in Montserrat who told me yesterday that they woke up to some, they had some minimal ash cloud even in Montserrat. And, you know, they lost more than 60% of their island to their volcanic uh, eruption a few years back. And they've never been able to, to repopulate that part of the island because it's just a total wipeout from another Sufria volcano. You know. Oh gosh. And I suppose yeah. the challenge is we're not too sure what's going to happen, you know, from here on, if that's potentially not the end of it from what we've seen. So, you know, you're cleaning up what's already happened and, you know, even don't, every single day, no matter how much I clean, it comes back in again. So don't even go there. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> the, they, they reminded me, he reminded me last night that the 1902 eruption lasted one year. Yes. O M G. No, no. I, I think I'd be migrating. I'd be heading to somewhere, the UK, Canada, someplace. If I had to put up with this for a year, you know, because our style of living is very open. It's not like living in Manhattan or some major city or even in, in, in London, you know, where because of the weather, your houses are far more insulated and closed and so on. So that's a great thing. But all of our traditional Caribbean living is wide open verandas and patios. And, you know, I have a 40-foot swimming pool out there. And, and it just looks like a 40-foot canal at the moment, you know. Uh, and I can't go into it at the moment because we still have to vacuum it again and again and again. But we're alive. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Please do subscribe to Life in Barbados to follow my journey and never miss an episode. Life in Barbados. A year on a paradise island. 
Barbados was just coming out of some restrictions. And, yeah. you know, Monday we were due to be able to go to bars at 50% capacity, maybe head out on, on leisure, pleasure crafts and things like that. So obviously this came in over the weekend. I work in the travel industry as well. And so yeah. we were hoping there was going to be the bounce back of tourism with the new protocols announced. And it just feels this is, you know, another kind of major setback. Do you get a sense of how people are feeling about the, I suppose, kind of the future in Barbados with the Lumen potential long-lasting ash cloud situation? Well, you know, I'm probably not a good person to ask because I'm I'm the eternal optimist. And I, I always believe that there is, uh, you know, the glass is not half empty, it's half full. And because I have to, I, I have to believe that. Because as human beings, we need positive energy. We need to think positively. Otherwise, we get depressed and we, you know, and we, we begin to, to make all kinds of mistakes and, and we lose interest and so on. So it's a battle. We know it's a battle. But, you know, I always cons- uh, console myself with, you know, our forefathers in, in these islands uh, would have gone through much more terrible uh, conditions than, than, than we did. And therefore, we, we shouldn't be whining and complaining. You know, we have a lot to be grateful for. In terms of tourism, you know, it's been a difficult one because, as you said, this, I mean, who wants to come to an island right now that is covered in ash? You're not going to do that. But I do sense that there's an appetite for the Barbados tourism product and, and that we have a product that is that has always been attractive. And I think it will continue uh, to be attractive. I believe that once we have the some semblance of herd immunity or at least the vaccinations uh, in place for our visitors coming in. I, I've heard the Prime Minister in her last press briefing outlining potential approaches of how it, w- it could work. Those have not been finalized yet. And I hope that with people like yourself, you know, guiding and, and because we have to get the feedback from your end too, as well as to how, how it's going to work. I remain optimistic that we have a product that's a good product and that uh, we... we <laughs> Barbadians like to say that God is a patient because somehow we seem to duck most of and avoid most of the calamities, earthquakes and floods and hurricanes. The last real hurricane we had in Barbados was in 1955. You know, so when people overseas ask me about, well, should I come during the hurricane season? I said, why not? You know, we've been here all of our lives and, and, and most of us have never seen one. In fact, I've seen more hurricanes out of Barbados than in Barbados. I've been in five hurricanes in other islands, just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, and, and been caught in Cuba, in Belize, in the Bahamas, you know. So yeah, I've been I've been in quite a few hurricanes where, you know, like and even in Miami, the last one of all places, for God's sake, you know, in Miami. Yeah. So I, I do think, but here's 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 the thing. Now we have uh, my wife has a uh, a, a side business, a small business that we, we, we run. We have our own little um, real estate. Uh, we have some properties that we put into, that are in rentals. And a few years back, she started uh, with some short-term rentals using doing Airbnb. At the height of the Airbnb, we had five of our units, different parts of the island on Airbnb. She has been a super host from pretty much from the first day she got Superhost status, but of course Airbnb died. It just came to a halt. So we've had to. She said, "Well, what do I do?" I said, "Well, let's let's go into long-term rentals. Go back to long-term rentals." So we've done that. 
Now, the cottage here at, at our home, that one, we're not going to put long-term rentals in it because we don't want anybody here on a permanent basis. Uh, so we're going to keep that one. And when, when, when the market reopens, but we've had, we've had guests who've been with us before making inquiries and saying, uh, you know, when do you think we could come? So I think that's, I think that's positive because we made great friendships over the years with people who have uh, used our Airbnbs in particular, the one which is right here on our compound. So whether they like to or not, or we like to or not, we see each other pretty much every day and we do things together. We invite them to, you know, if we're going out somewhere, we invite them to join with us. If we're going to the market, going up to Oystens, we're going out for a meal, that sort of stuff and so on. To the point where, you know, we've had repeat guests that I, I really couldn't charge them because, you know, I just didn't feel I could do that, you know? So uh, we've had to give up on that for the time being. But look, look at all the inventory we have in, in hotels. Yeah. We don't have a choice, do we? You know, exactly. we can't turn that inventory into anything else. Our economy is built on tourism. And I hear, I hear political pundits and, you know, um, armchair experts uh, holding forth on, well, you know, we, 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 we need to diversify this economy and, you know, not be dependent on tourism. And the question I always ask is, and what is that? Could you tell me what that is? Because it's, it's fine to say that we should have this great diversity, but what is this diversity? Because if it was that easy to find, I believe we would have done it already. Not so. Tourism, in short, what I'm saying is it's, it's what we have. It's our greatest play. It's what we offer. It's our friendliness. It's our warmth. It's our culture. It's our food, you know, and, and, and that's not going to go away. And I think the relationship that we have, particularly with, with areas like the UK, we have a, a symbiotic relationship with, you know, Barbados has for long seen itself as, you know, little England and so on, our, our legacy with cricket and our traditions and so on. Even as you drive around, you look at the names of places and so on, you know, all of these Hastings and Brighton, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very British. Whether you, you, so we, we, we're not going to change that, you know? So I'm, I'm optimistic that once we can see some sense of normalcy, I'm more worried about COVID than I am about, about the volcanic eruption because I know that has to end at some point in time. Life in Barbados, a year on a paradise island. So I guess I am not too sure what the future holds for me here in Barbados. The best case scenario is that literally the dust settles and it gets back to normal. Our worst case is that the volcano keeps giving us ash clouds which makes it a bit of a challenge to live out my year here on a paradise island. For some big decisions ahead, it's going to be really tough to make those decisions. And <laughs> potentially in the absence of a decision, I may just stay here and forget about it all and see what happens. But why don't you tune in next week for an update? Thank you for listening. Speak to you soon. So I think, yeah, if you could find some coconut trees, work out how to make a raft out of them, make a video and send it to me, that would be even more helpful. Sure. Uh, and I'll send you a fully bowl. <laughs> make sure you subscribe to Life in Barbados, a year on a paradise island. Go to life-in-barbados.com forward slash subscribe. 
If you've been enjoying Life in Barbados, you're going to want to check out my other show, The Bucket List. Each episode, I chat with locals, guides, and even some people I met along the way on various dream trips. Experience safari in Tanzania, road trips across the US, and hiking across Australia's national parks, just to mention a few of the episodes. Go to otherworldtravel.com forward slash podcast. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.